This is the CT Startup Podcast, an inside perspective into the startup ecosystem in the great state of Connecticut. I'm Eric Francis. Michael Kaufman. David Menard. And we are here with Fresh Farm Aquaponics. Spencer, Kieran, how are you guys doing today? Doing excellent. We're really happy to be here. We've been loving the podcast. Uh, finally honored that we can make a presence ourselves and really just excited to, to get going. Yeah, thanks for having us, guys. Uh, we always love to hear from diehard fans. Yeah, <laughs> right. This right. is great. Now, we do have a disclosure, right, we that we have do. to make. We do have a disclosure. Um, so the disclosure is is actually I am uh, on the team at Fresh Farm. I am the newest uh, partner at Fresh Farm. And um, obviously, we're going to get to that throughout the podcast. Um, but full disclosure, uh, this is going to be a different podcast where one of the hosts is actually a part of the uh, startup that's being interviewed. So. That's right. And that's Eric. And so before Eric gets involved, though, you guys had a story um, getting to where you were. So why don't you guys take it away? And just to introduce yourselves when you talk so people know that can identify the voice. Definitely. Uh, so this is Spencer. And yeah, we had a story, uh, as I think most people tend to have. Um, Kieran and I have been friends for a long time, uh, since sixth or seventh grade. Um, this didn't start then, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I had just finished, uh, college at Vermont, uh, UVM in Vermont. Uh, Kieran had one more year at Northeastern, which is a five year school. Uh, so I decided to go down and live in Boston, um, <clears throat> uh, for his final year and just kind of, get a see what the city's like uh while we were there um we were both kind of simultaneously reading this book 1491 which is all about how the americas what they were like before columbus came and kind of the incursion uh from the west uh occurred uh and a lot of the book was uh primarily agriculture focused lots of uh talking about how the people here fed themselves it, there was just one after another of these crazy mind-blowing facts that I had never even thought about uh, in this book, um, one of which was that the Americas actually had a greater population than Asia, Europe, and Africa combined. So that's kind of ridiculous, uh, considering that the, I think the common view of the Americas is that they're sparsely populated by people wearing loincloths and stuff like this. Uh, but really, these were huge civilizations, millions of people, massive cities, and they had to feed these people somehow. And that's why a lot of the book was about agriculture. Um, one of the things we learned there is that uh, where actually where Mexico City is now uh, was the capital city of the Aztec Empire, Tenochtitlan. I hope I'm not butchering that for any Aztecs <laughs> you are, out you there. Definitely <laughs> are. <laughs> yeah, so I hope I don't get some sort of Aztec curse or anything. But it's, it's pretty uh, – the city Tenochtitlan, it was actually built on a uh, lake. I I don't want to guess the name. I think I know, but I'm not going to guess. Every um, time you say a name, you double our hate man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I won't yeah, do yeah. that. <laughs> Die hard ass. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're out there. Um, no, but so there's the city on a lake, and they fed not only the city, but their greater empire by actually building trenches into this lake. It's a shallow lake. That's why there's a city there now, uh, Mexico City. Um, but they basically trenched out this lake and they used the fish water, uh, the fish are swimming around the lake and they built these, uh, these basically like a raised grow bed on top of the lake. They anchored it in with trees 
So the trees would hold the soil there and the, the water would just soak into the soil and they were able to actually increase the number of yields they would get per year, I think from three to five. So near almost doubling <clears throat> their actual productivity compared to any other farmers, um, especially in Europe where farming was pretty rudimentary. Um, so that blew my mind. Uh, first of all, floating city, very cool. Growing water in a lake, even cooler. Um, and uh, for, if you want to do some Googling yourself, th- we Googled the word Chinampa, uh, C-H-I-N-A-M-P-A-S. Thank you, Kieran. <laughs> uh, I was uh, struggling a little bit. Um, but we Googled this, uh, Chinampa, and first thing that came up was aquaponics. And I, that night, uh, it was like a light bulb went off. We knew we had to get into this. This was so cool. And that's where it all began. Uh, I was, I took the next bus out, I think like the next day to the aquarium store, uh, which was not an easy task in Boston to lug home a fish tank, live fish, fish food, a 20 pound bag of sand, uh, all that good stuff. Uh, P.S. I don't recommend doing it all at once to anyone <laughs> else in a city. Break that up into multiple trips. I actually had to take two bus transfers back. And so this was a long journey. And uh, it was also, uh, we we discovered it first in like uh, October, and this is in the Northeast, obviously, Connecticut podcast. Um, October in Boston, it's not the best, but this was the year that uh, we had that uh, blizzard on Halloween. So it was probably like, maybe it wasn't October, November, like a day after that. Um, so going home with these live fish, I had to like cradle them like to my chest like uh, little babies in my jacket like so that they wouldn't freeze to death on the ride home um but they made it and they were growing food for us within the next few weeks um so, so just to be clear i, I just want to make sure everybody in the audience understands so so fresh farm aquaponics specializes in aqua aquaculture um otherwise known as aquaponics where the idea is is that there's sort of a multi-tier system. So where hydroponics gets rid of the growing medium of dirt and just uses water with nutrients placed in the water to help grow vegetables and, and plants and so on. Aquaponics uh, goes a step further and actually in- introduces fish into the system. And the fish waste actually creates the nutrients that feed the plants. And then you can harvest both the plants and, over time, the fish as well. So you're creating both sort of a, a protein and plant um, food system. That's exactly right. Uh, aquaponics is essentially just uh, an ecosystem in a box. So you're taking what's automatically happening in nature and you're just harnessing that uh, that nature's ability to produce uh, for itself and you're putting it right in a box. And in doing so, you're creating the most efficient, most sustainable way that so far we've come up with to grow food. Because as you mentioned, we have that viable protein source and we get abundance of, of plants off the system as well. Great. So, yeah, I guess uh, as the story continues from there, uh, we just became enthralled by aquaponics. I mean, we're, these are two kids who had never grown a plant before in their lives. And all of a sudden, you know, in our rickety apartment in Boston, we were producing tomatoes and basils and all sorts of things out of this small little system. And we we're actually like, you know, not feeding ourselves, but we were actually contributing to our diet in a significant way. And that's when we kind of caught the bug. It was like, wow, there's really something to this. If we could do it with no prior experience, um, you know, imagine the possibilities. We got to figure out a way to actually do this. Can we feed ourselves? So um, when our lease was up in Boston, we moved back home to Glastonbury, uh, just outside of Hartford and, um, you know, got our start in our backyards. Uh, we started in Spencer's backyard, um, producing a system that would feed, um, you know, four individuals, 
um, or so we thought. And it turned out that we underestimated. It actually fed a lot more than four individuals. So um, we started, you know, handing out produce to others and they got really enthralled. They were amazed by the quality. And when we told them the story behind it about aquaponics, they just, you know, became as enthralled as we were and couldn't get enough. So they started, you know, saying, hey, can I get more? Can I buy it from you? And that's when we're like, there might be a business here. Um, and, you know, at the time we weren't really enjoying where we were headed in our careers anyway. So it was like, let's see if we can make a go at this. Um, you know, no prior experience in entrepreneurship or aquaponics. Uh, but so far we've stumbled our way through to success from that point on. Yeah, the perfect place to start. Yeah. <laughs> no bad habits that we had to lose. Uh, and what, what, what careers were you guys uh, headed down? So I was in um, the pre-law career uh, god help you yeah (laughs) i went to school for political science but um like it that's just because they didn't have a pre-law program every class i took was geared toward being an attorney and at northeastern they do um you know this multiple internship co-op opportunities um so i worked at a bunch of different law firms while i was there and it gave me a pretty good idea that that was not what i wanted to do i didn't like reading um facts as much as i thought i did (laughs) it's okay being an attorney is uh much like going to hell, right? It's, 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 it's a place where nobody else would take you. So nobody else would take you. That's a good one. Let's give Dave a minute. <laughs> I need to contemplate my life choices here for a moment. So, so Spencer, I looked up the lake name. You want to give it a shot? I do. I think it's Titicaca. Nope. No, that's... Tex, it's Texcoco. Yep. So those are the two. It, I can't it, get them Is it right. a silent X, though? Is it Tecoco? It could be. That sounded really like native, but I have no idea if it's the right nativity. I don't know where, if that's how they say it. Take hey, Coco. Take hey, Coco. <laughs> now we have to find it out. Triple the hate mail. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're really exactly, uh, yeah. screwing the yeah, I mean, we, we, we may have balanced it out because we showed that we really cared and we wanted to get the facts right. No, right. I, I just think we should split our pronunciations among the continents. We should not make fun of the French. Yes. Okay, so. So you decided to, that you know your your careers weren't quite actually we didn't even get that far. Yeah, Spencer, where, where were you going with your life? Uh, um, <laughs> so I was a, at the University of Vermont, a Latin and philosophy major. So I was actually looking at some incredible careers in modern <laughs> philosoph- philosophical work. Uh, you know. <laughs> No, no, I really had nothing. Uh, it's, it's, nothing. it's too hard to say. It's really too hard to say. Wow, so, uh, you're cracking up at the end. I, I, I'm honestly surprised you are not a lawyer, frankly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, I was working, uh, of all places, at Lush Cosmetics. They're like a oh, like yeah. a fresh fruit and plant-based cosmetic company. Um, uh, and I didn't want to sell makeup. <laughs> so, and they, they released a line of makeup and that happened to coincide very nicely when, uh, when we discovered aquaponics. So I said, let's, uh, I'm going to get the hell out of here. <laughs> uh, where in Boston did you, did you guys live? I'm assuming Northeastern, where were you? Mission Hill area? Yeah, Mission Hill, Brigham Circle, stop. Yep. Oh, yeah. Sea line, baby. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, another sea line. Um, and that's how you became a Bruins fan. Okay, it all makes sense. Man. Oh, no, I was a Bruins fan since the day I was born. Like, oh. literally, I was put into a Bruins jacket when I was born, so. When I went up to Boston, <laughs> when I went up to Boston, the Bruins were terrible, the Celtics were terrible, this is 2006, it was like $5 a ticket. By the time I left Boston, like $125 Oh, a yeah, ticket. it was oh. nuts. I became a season ticket holder while I was there, and it went up by like $50 every season. Are you still yeah. a season ticket holder? I am. That's actually pretty good. Um, you got, you got we should hang out sometime. <laughs> <laughs> 
See, I went I went to Boston College undergrad. So we used to, when I went, we used to go to the ble- sit in the bleacher seats. Oh, yeah. Like get out of classes, go to the game, sit in the bleacher seats, pay five bucks, seven bucks. Now I couldn't, you know, I I give a law profession. I'm still not able to afford the bleacher seats. So, uh, well, because you, all your clients are entrepreneurs. <laughs> That's right. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, yes. My life choices. Now yeah, I'm yeah. starting to get it. Um, you brought yourself to this place. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys get to talk about your yourself yes. here. So um, how did you start? So you actually made the change and you, you were building in the backyard, but... To actually start a business is kind of a different thing. Yeah, so like Kieran was saying, we actually were overproducing what we had anticipated. Um, and this was well into the fall and even the early winter. Um, so we decided to start a what's called a CSA, a Community-Supported Agriculture Program. Uh, very small one, but th- this is a, ver- a popular way of, that farmers are finding to sell their produce. It's basically uh, a customer would buy a share of an entire season's production from the farmer, they would pay up front for that share, and then they would get weekly boxes of produce. Hmm. Um, so it's great because the boxes end up being cheaper because you paid everything up front and you're gonna get you're gonna get a bigger box every week than you would normally have received at the grocery store. It's, you're supporting your local farmer. And then for the farmer itself, they're getting a large upfront cash load at the front of the season when they can actually use it. They need that money up front to actually perform and grow stuff all season long. So we took that model and we brought it to seven families. Um, some of them might have been our own families, but, uh, you know, that's how these <laughs> things happen. Um, and we were able to deliver them uh, living produce all winter. Uh, we were, I, don't, I, I don't know if I can say we're the only winter CSA in Connecticut, because I don't know for sure, but I haven't heard of another one. Um, and we were delivering mostly herbs uh, during the winter, as we still had this small system um, mm-hmm. comparatively to where we are now. Uh, mostly herbs, some greens, and uh, we just... Gave them box after box of herbs every week, and uh, we sold that for, you know, a pittance, but it proved to us this this could be a business. Um, and we moved from there, and we that spring we were actually out uh, building our 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 community scale system is what we call it. It's a uh, about a thousand square feet. The one at my house, uh, I forget the under square 100. footage. It's yeah, like under hundred. It's like yeah, about half the size of this uh, room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which is great which, for the people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just a visual <laughs> so, so people imagine where we're sitting. Just imagine it. So yeah, um, it's like uh, my backyard system. Obviously, we designed it to fit nicely in a backyard, so it's it's relatively tiny. Um, but our commercial system or our community system, we partnered with a local farmer um, who we we happened to go to school with his daughter, so we kind of had a connection there and. Um, uh, oh, another one of our friends lives right next to him. So we had this great little inn. Uh, we brought him this, you know, thoroughly researched packet of plans. This is what we're going to do. This is how much we're going to make. You know, all of which, like we said, we had no business experience. We kind of pulled it out of somewhere. Um, <laughs> but he, he, he took a, a half second look at it and said, yeah, let's do this. This is awesome. Uh, so since then, we've been, uh, I say we, 
Uh, Kieran has definitely pulled the heavier labor here, <laughs> but he's been bailing hay for rent for <laughs> what, two or three years now. Yeah, yeah, we got a nice little setup with this guy where we don't have to actually pay any rent, so we just pay it off in labor. Um, so that's how we were able to bootstrap this thing for our the entire way. You know, we didn't have to take out any loans to get this business started. We used the profits from our small backyard system to build out our first system, and then we took the profits from that system to basically learn from our mistakes, make upgrades to the system, learn how we could do this better. And now we're trying to transition and show people what we've learned. Um, you know, we're taking this to other organizations and individuals around the state, showing them how they can grow food for themselves, find the same benefits in their lives that we found, um, and just teach the people how they can feed their own communities. Um, so it's been a great sort of learning process from us, just showing people what we went through and then being able to offer them that same experience. But the CSA isn't your only business model. No. Oh, no. That, no. That, <laughs> was, that was our first one. And we have many. Uh, we're... Uh, we were talking on the way here, and I think the the kind of the best way to put it is we're a diverse ecosystem of products and services. We have a number of different offerings that we make to different groups of clients. Um, the CSA being one of them, and like Kieran said, as we as we learned uh, this business and how to operate a farm and how to sell produce, we learned that we wanted to help others do that too. It's you know we could fish, but we could also teach the world to fish. Uh, you know, like that saying is right: teach a man to fish, and it's better than not teaching him to fish. Yeah, give him such a philosopher. That that college degree paid off. And, uh, it, was, it was it was give a man a fish, and, yeah, feed him once. You teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. Thank that's you, that. and that's that's why yeah. you're the master here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, can I get that? I got. I got to record that. I'm glad yeah, I am recording right. that. I got to play that face? for the people who work here besides me. Yeah. <laughs> but see, when you guys you guys were starting, so when when I st- started looking into aquaponics, just like you guys, I mean, kind of got onto it, went online, searched it, and everything like that is that. I mean, when we both started looking at it, which was now what six, seven years ago for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was really not that much, right? No. So, I mean, that's kind of where... No, and what was out there was a lot of bad misinformation. So people would, you know, take their best ideas and put them online, but they weren't actually tested out. They didn't actually try it themselves. So you'd try something out that, you know, thought you had good insight into and and you'd fail. And so what we wanted to do was remove those barriers to entry for people. You know, this really is so easy if you just keep in mind a few ground rules when you're getting started that anyone can do it. Um, and we just want to lay that out in a simple way for people to do. So whether we're designing, building, or maintaining systems for people, we do it in a way to make sure that everyone, you know, that we're we're bringing this down to a level where everyone can understand it and everyone can do it and it you know there's no labor involved it's really easy um, and you get to grow your own food what could be better than that so I think people are going to want to hear though exactly how you're making money at this right yeah. so they want to hear from entrepreneurs so you had the CSA model um, and you're obviously willing to give away uh, your not so secret secrets for free <laughs> um, but uh, but what what services are you providing that keeps the company going yeah. Um, so we've taken what we learned operating a farm and we are now, that's a package that we now can sell to our clients. We like to think of ourselves as growing growers, uh, whether that is an amateur in their, in their home or backyard or a classroom with an aquaponics system in their school, um, or an entire organization that uses our systems for job training or other, other things like that. So, so we partner with people who will derive benefits from aquaponics beyond the food, uh, but are also interested in growing food. 
And then we help them not only grow the food and derive all those benefits, but then sell the food afterwards. Uh, so, so that's where our first CSA model comes in. We mm-hmm. can take our experience and show them how to do it in their own communities. Yeah, we've been seeing a lot of success, as Spencer mentioned, in the in the classroom segment. Um, you know, we go beyond just teaching these kids how to grow their own food. We're getting better engagement in science and all the STEM, you know, technology, engineering, math, course subjects. The teachers are loving it because now they have this um, tool in their classroom that they can use for various subjects throughout the year and keep kids on a consistent reference point throughout the year and show them how all these different subjects meld together um, and really work as one. Um, so we've, you know, we're really, really excited with the potential of aquaponics in schools because we're just seeing these kids loving it. And it's, you know, it's exactly what I wish I had in a classroom when I was a kid. <laughs> so is there anything you, let me rephrase, uh, what, what do you guys grow right now in terms of vegetation? So we focus on leafy greens and herbs. We definitely specialize in Reefer. that. <laughs> that's yeah, the we, other, we, that's we, the yeah. other side of the business. <laughs> <laughs> Not in Connecticut yet. Yeah, yeah. I'd say yeah. we get that probably 98% of people that learn what we do will ask us that. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but yeah, it is it is all food um, as of right now. Um, but anything that grows in soil can be grown in aquaponics. So we do, while we focus on the greens and herbs production, um, we do a lot of specialty crops as well, such as strawberries, string beans, spinach. Um, we've done to- a lot of different heirloom tomato varieties. In the past, we've done squash and cucumbers, um, peppers we do a lot of different styles See, of that sounds like a challenge like you just threw down the gauntlet there like <laughs> i think we're all going to start showing up with dragon fruit trees and <laughs> yeah, well I you can't do i mean yeah <laughs> I, i've grown a jasmine tree in my backyard system a green tea tree um ginger although that died in the winter um you can grow quite a we know we know a guy in connecticut that grows a banana tree Oh really? yeah, and he—he's yeah. actually, and he's one of the guys that we both, you know, all three mm-hmm. of us learned uh, learn from. Yeah. And he's—he has a uh, producing, you know, banana tree. Well, no, he it, it almost—he had to chop it down because it was actually taking up too much nutrients. It but. was gonna ju- jut through the top of it. He has a geodesic dome, and it grew like I don't know how tall, fifteen feet, and it was gonna sh- pop right through the top of it, and they had to chop that thing down. And he said when he chopped it down, it was filled with so much water. That it was just leaking water for days into the floor of his greenhouse. Like, it was just <laughs> uh. a massive sponge. <laughs> like, it, it was crazy. But he was actually getting bananas off this thing? Or it wasn't producing them yet? I don't think it was he tall didn't enough, have enough to time. produce. Yeah, it's really what it, it was. Yeah. It grew in that one season before it came back around to the fruiting season. It, he had to chop it down. Connecticut <laughs> bananas. That's yeah. something you don't hear often. <laughs> that's a new industry. So how do you scale this business? So that's what we were asking ourselves when we were our original farm. Uh, we said, okay, we can only grow so much ourselves. We need to scale this. And how do we do that? We empower others to grow food for themselves and their communities. And that's, that's what we're really focused on doing now. So we have, we have designed, uh, some systems that are modular and we're designing a full kind of series of systems now that are modular in size and scope. So you can have them in your home. You can have them in your backyard. You could have them uh, in inside a building, or you could have them, you know, scaled out uh, to commercial uh, levels. And they're all designed to kind of plug and play together, so you can build them out as you as you grow, which is what we found um, to be the best way to do this. Uh, start small and build into it. Do you actually sell the fish as well? Yeah. So that that's what we're moving into is how once we have this nice network of systems how do we operate and maintain them so 
we're we're playing with some models where it's just almost like a subscription basis. You would uh, sign on and receive um, refills for plants. And fish are much more long term, but we can start you off with the fish uh, that we always provide fish for all of our systems. And uh, right now we have the largest network of aquaponics systems in New England, um, at the very least, at uh, twelve systems in nine locations. Right, and part of this is to cr- you. Part of this is you're also offering the CSA, right? So if I if I set up a system in my backyard. I could eat what I wanted out of it, but in theory, I could also sell it back to us as part of a CSA. Yes, that is the long-term plan of having this, what we call a distributed farm. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Throughout Connecticut, our farms are all operating, but we are working very diligently to tie them together to create one farm that is distributed throughout throughout the state. How do you find people? How do you reach out and, and find people and discover that this is an interest of theirs? So there's a lot of customer discovery that goes into doing that. Um, a lot of the times it started at the farmer's market, um, just seeing what types of people were interested in it, who was um, saying, you know, I want to learn more about that or how can I get more involved in doing that? And it turns out, you know, schools was one place where, um, you know, any teachers or principals or anyone connected with schools was like, wow, we need to have that in schools. So that was like, okay, we need to start approaching schools and saying, this is what we can offer you. This We can do some programming around this. Would you be interested? And that's how we got started there. Um, and it's just sort of doing that with each different customer segment that we have, identifying who would be interested in this and then what products or services they would want to go around it so that it would make it easiest for them to be able to implement this. We've also actually found uh, people tend to come out of the woodwork. Uh, it is a unique idea. Um now, uh, we definitely think it's ubiquitous 10 years out from now. Um, but we find people, we're, like I said, we're the largest provider of these services in the area. So our website pops up and we get emails through there pretty often. Um, people of all s- scenarios that you could imagine. Um, and some of them end up clients. Do you ever see any partnerships with like companies like Monsanto? Uh, <laughs> Monsanto. <laughs> this is gonna be a long podcast. <laughs> now the hate mail comes in. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, yeah. So, but it's an interesting question. I mean, you can grow anything in there, right? So, you know, I, I imagine aquaponics naturally appeals to people who'd be opposed to GMOs and. Yeah, like you're really getting a system that really is the most natural you could get. Um, even the fish that come out of it, they're not going to be tainted with mercury from the ocean. They're not going to be filled with antibiotics from fish farms. They are absolutely natural, pure, incredible produce. Or micro pellets of plastic. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah right. none of that. So can you only grow fish or can you actually grow other types of... It, it's an ecosystem like Kieran set up on the front end of the podcast. Uh, you can build what you want. Uh, it's a matter of complexity. Uh, mm-hmm. We've found that if you add, uh, without getting too technical, like different trophic layers, different things that eat different levels of waste, you can actually increase the health of your system. Like so, uh, fish that uh, eat from the middle of the pond that make waste and then the catfish eat that and then you can't do this commercially because of shellfish uh laws but you could have shrimps in there or uh, or snails that then help break that down further and you can do all sorts of stuff there's there's farms actually that do fish and uh crayfish together uh crayfish are extremely uh lucrative if you can grow them properly and so they'll actually grow them underneath their raft beds that hold plants um so you can yeah you can mix and match Hmm. 
But there, but there, when it comes to the fish, like selling like, you know, filleted fish, mm-hmm. you obviously get into more regulations and everything like that. So, and, 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 you know, koi fish are actually one that a lot of people use. So it's not just edible fish, but ornamental fish that are in the systems. So some systems are food producing, you know, completely both the, both the fish and the, the, uh, plants. But then there's also some systems where like how I began, I never had, you know, tilapia or bass or anything like that. I just had straight koi. Well, yeah. that way you can so. name them. Yeah, exactly. And they're and they're pets and everything. Yeah, like that. so yeah. it's when, they, when, they you, when you, you start know, you having yeah, when you start naming, when you start having tilapia and you name them and then you see all sad when you're about to eat hairy. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. So, so maybe this isn't the most intelligent question, but the the koi fish is not an edible fish. It's I technically mean, it, it, edible. well, it is edible. Well, I mean, anything's edible. it's a carp, so it's in a breed of fish that are typically eating in some parts of the world. Um, but just this specific breed of koi or just koi as a specific breed they've been bred to be beautified and ornamental so Mm -hmm. just the way that the marketplace um you know buys them and consumes them is as pond fish Mm -hmm. as opposed to edible fish and they actually get a much more higher premium than edible fish do because of that aspect they're very highly prized yeah you wouldn't eat like a peacock oh maybe you would but a peacock versus chicken I'd give it a shot. Yeah, well, I, as soon as I said it, I was like, I regret saying that. I think well, I would try a peacock. Well, see, this is very interesting for me um, because I'm married to a vegetarian. So so there would be natural opposition for the fish in the house, right, mm-hmm. to, have the, to have these fish, you know, going in circles. And, and so the idea of selling on koi, which have this more ornamental value, might might sell better. And it's producing vegetables naturally, so. Yeah, and for most people, that's going to be the obvious choice because in order to actually produce enough fish to start eating regularly, you need a pretty sizable system. So most people who are just doing this in their home to get started aren't going to be having a system of that size. So you're going to want some fish that are just nice to look at, and koi definitely fit that bill. So, Eric, uh, how did you get involved with this? So, actually, um, the way I got involved was actually... um, through reset it was it was actually it's one of those things where um spencer and kieran they reached out for support through the connecticut ecosystem right um and i did the same uh it was i mean it's it's actually a year it's it's literally (laughs) a year a year ago um we were um we were both applying to the reset accelerator program and i was going in there actually to do i had two businesses that i was going in there for one was uh, an obstacle kit kind of a company or uh, one that was focused on um, kind of the obstacle course racing industry. And then the other one was an aquaponic installation maintenance company. And um, through another resource that we we have both used um, a lot, uh, Eric Knight uh, through Reset as well, I actually met with Eric um, before the Reset, uh, before the accelerator started. I don't know if you guys remember this, but mm-hmm. I had a meeting with him. It was the first time, you know, I ever had a meeting with him. Um, and I was telling him all the ideas that I had. I was kind of throwing up uh, on him with all, all these ideas. And he was like, you know what? I think you, you should meet some people. And um, actually, you guys were walking in, right? <laughs> and, I, and and we met and we introduced. And he was like, you know, maybe you guys should talk about this. Um, and so a week later, I didn't know you guys were in the accelerator. But it was one thing where we were going around. And I was actually going to do the aquaponic installation company as the, the concept in the accelerator. Um, but they went around the table first and I was the last person <laughs> at the end of the table and I decided, um, it was one of those things where I was doing it for the experience for, for kind of the method to the madness, I guess you can say. Um, so 
instead of, and I was doing it also to find people. I wasn't doing it just to do the business. I was trying to find other people to do it with me. Um, so I, I pitched the other, the other idea and then went, I, you know, right after we got out of that meeting, I went to you guys and was like, listen, guys, I was yeah. going to do this anyways. <laughs> you know, we'll see how this whole thing pans out. And, um, you know, a, a year later, we're, we're here. So it panned out. Yeah. It, it, it panned out. Um, so that was kind of, um, you know, how, how we got involved as, um, you know, business partners. Um, before that, I mean, I've been in, into aquaponics as a hobbyist, uh, for about five years. I had a small, greenhouse uh, about 10 by 12 greenhouse and was doing that at um, my backyard doing the same kind of thing more or less kind of feeding myself and my family not not, not selling it um but i've also seen the rise of the aquaponic industry over the the past you know five years which it's you know five years ago you talk to people about aquaponics and they're asking about you know are you growing marijuana mm-hmm. <laughs> and then now uh, they say yeah i've heard about that i've seen this i've seen that i've seen oh there's this person doing it that person doing it so it's it's definitely becoming more well known um, yeah and so. i think it's probably going to continue to 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 be such i mean population's booming the you know world hungers yeah. at an all-time high or yeah. no and, one fact check me on that i would assume it's, it's, it's certainly true it's higher yeah. than ever uh and you know also in combination with just you know everyone flooding to the cities and trying to create ways where they don't have to ship produce or, or anything for that matter to, to feed these people halfway around the world. It's about, you know, how do you go right downstairs and, and get a meal that's been, uh, been grown or, Upstairs. Yeah, or harvested <laughs> right there. Yeah, and yeah. food and food's one of those, like, you know, what was it? Um, Diamandis, Peter Diamandis says that it's, gonna, it's one of those exponential industries, you right, know, just yeah. like the 3d printing and other ones where it's like now we're the technology is coming where we can produce way more. Yeah. Um, and not just of corn and soy and all these other ones that are subsidized, but like the real stuff that's going to, you, you know, did people. you read bold? I did. Yeah. And, and <laughs> yeah. well, well, that, 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 finished it. Oh, that yeah. fact was actually in his other one, abundance. So that was in his book. Uh, that was abundance. the first book. Yeah. That was the first book. Yeah. And, and it's not just, you know, sort of the scalability of it. I, I personally find it interesting on a home level because I think as, uh, our energy infrastructure and other issues become problem, people are going to be looking to, figure out how they can get their houses and their properties more and more off the grid. Like yeah. what happens if there's an interruption to to services or to energy or to other items? And you know, I think I think home heating is part of that, uh heating and cooling like geothermal energy and things like that. Uh and and frankly hydroponics and aquaponics fit right into that. Yeah, we we really see a future where aquaponics is in every home uh where growing your food grows, uh, or excuse me, your house grows food for you the same way it produces water out of a faucet for you. It's a basic need that all humans have, and our habitat should be able to provide them. And now, frankly, the technology exists where that can happen. So that is the future that we see. That's what we're driving towards, uh, for sure. Um, so now it's just how do we get there? How do we get a system in every home uh, on top of every building? And, you know, we get it out there. And luckily, there's a lot of other companies out there that are, and like, one of the big things is that, again, the aquaponic industry, um, it's kind of been going through the ups and downs, but everybody's very collaborative. I mean, there's not like, you don't have a lot of these companies really, like, fighting each other. Um, they're learning from each other. They're figuring out what are the best practices, because even now, even on the commercial, the big commercial scale, people are doing different things, and one person would say that, that that's not the right way to do it, while another person is thriving at it. So it's like one of those weird industries where it's still, 
very young, I guess you can say, where people are still pretty collaborative and not, <laughs> you know. You yeah, know. It, it's an ancient technology, but a modern industry, you know. Mm-hmm. So it, it disappeared for quite a long time after after we kind of clashed with uh, the Americas. And now it's definitely seeing a resurgence. And uh, it, like Eric said, it's the beginning of an industry. And there's chaos and there's collaboration happening within that chaos and it's just it's a great time to be a part of it is there anything proprietary to your systems so right now the systems we're using are uh not necessarily proprietary um aquaponics like uh eric said is quite collaborative Mm -hmm. Uh, we are in the works developing some uh, uh smart agriculture technology that would be quite proprietary um and that would help link our systems together um they would you know, include sensors that would uh, pull data from the system and then a connectivity portion that would actually connect all of our systems together so that they could learn from one another. And then the, you know, the graphical user interface to get a little technical, uh, an application. So you could pull up your phone, see what your farm is doing for you. Uh, you know, you could be anywhere in the world and farming from your phone. I, so, s- I assume automation, too, would be an area automation. to too. If, if we want to get technical, it goes sensors, controls, optimization, automation. So those are the four steps to any smart technology. You start by sensing and observing. Uh, with For us, we're watching pH, nitrate levels, different nutrients. Uh, once you're sensing, then you can start applying controls. If, you know, water goes above this line, cut the pump. If the temperature goes below this level, add heat. That kind of thing. Once you're doing that, you can watch what happens for a while, and then you that's the optimization part. You pull mm-hmm. data from observing the system and doing the controls, and then you learn how to do it better. And by the time you're optimizing, you can start implementing the automation and making this grow for you while you're at work, while you're doing your own thing. You know, who knows, 10 years from now, you might have a garden attached to your house that's actually bringing in revenue for you. You know, it's growing enough to not only eat yourself, but you can provide it and sell it back to the community so so we see this as a way almost to add a revenue stream to your home yeah without a doubt that's exactly what i was thinking the entire time you know i could just imagine as you know let's say my neighbor has one of these systems and i can go on and basically just choose mr smith's house and see what he has a surplus of and and just as easily be like you know i want to pick up uh two bushels of Whatever comes in a bushel. Yeah. <laughs> and, and because I'm a freak, I want a baker's dozen of koi fish. <laughs> and if he has it, uh, uh, you know, a peacock. <laughs> so, yeah, just going basically going back to the way things used to be. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's like one of those things. It'll be the it's barter like... system again. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, that that's part of what we're trying to bake right into the, uh, the application from the ground up, is that this is not just a way to monitor your garden, but it's a way to get your your production out into the community and actually make it go somewhere and put it to a use. So uh, I I like to ask some of the tough questions, which is without naming names, you guys have lost people on the way. You you've taken on new people, uh, and Eric. Um, so what were the challenges that you faced in that, and how did you overcome them? Yeah, it's um, you know it's uh, definitely just something I would call growing pains as you go through a company. You know. One of the things is, is when we got started, as we mentioned, we had no prior experience and we were just very excitable and we all got wound up in how awesome this could be and the potential. Um, but, you know, a year, a year and a half into it, it becomes uh, very clear that some people are more committed than others in making this um, a goal. 
So it just comes down to a place where if we were going to move forward as a company, um, we needed to make sure that everyone was on the same page. And um, in order to do that, it meant that, unfortunately, we had to part ways with one of our partners um, from the beginning. Now, was that... So let's let's get a little bit more into that. Um, now, wherever you guys feel comfortable, but the you know I think I think this is a problem faced by most companies sooner or later. And so I'm very interested in how companies handle these situations. You make the you know you kind of you sort of come to the determination in your own heads. Okay, this isn't quite working as is. You know, did you raise the subject? Did they raise the subject? How did uh, and and were you know did you were you able to settle things through negotiations or you know was it more difficult than that? Yeah, so um, we mentioned Kieran and I have been friends for quite a long time. Uh, our other partner was actually I've been friends with even longer. So, um, so the fifth grade. Yes. Uh, <laughs> no, no. Like I'm talking like when I moved to Connecticut when I was three. Like okay. we were going to Hebrew school. We we're we we're doing the thing. Um, <laughs> so, th- you know, that's never easy. And we got that note from the very beginning. Like, are you sure you want to go into business with your friends? Mm-hmm. And it was like. Yes, uh, I do. Um, but it does come with its own challenges. We, we, I don't remember exactly how it came up, but it just was extremely obvious whenever we were all together that we weren't on the same page. There was an air, you know, a, a bad air around. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, we, we do a lot of walk, walking meetings. Uh, I live, Oh, I mean, Glastonbury is an incredibly beautiful town. I live right next to essentially a swimming hole. So we just go back there with uh, Gabe the dog, take him on a walk, and that's where we do our meetings. Um, so we just over the course of a few of those walk and talks, um, and if you do live near a waterfall, it is a great place to have a hard talk. Uh, it's hard to be angry at a beautiful waterfall. <laughs> or um, you can throw someone over. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That should be HR like 101. Because yeah. like, if you're going to fire someone, you do it on a Friday as well because they get the weekend to chill out. Yeah. Fire them on a Friday at a waterfall. Yeah, at a waterfall. <laughs> I mean, if I, if I had my way, every big building would have a waterfall powering its internal aquaponics system. So it may be on something. But, um, Earth and maybe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll have to see how the trend goes on that one. We'll <laughs> but um yeah so so we we were lucky enough that it ended amiably uh we still hang out all the time you know he like you said it's one of my oldest friends one of kieran's oldest friends i'd say the friendships actually improved since that That's because there was so much tension in the relationship and it turned we were no longer looking at each other as friends but as business partners yeah. who were not equal but on paper should have been um, so by that, you know, the process, it was, as Spencer mentioned, a lot of difficult conversations, but at the end of it, we actually grew as friends from it because mm-hmm. we came to an agreement that, you know, we all could agree upon and that no one felt cheated out of the experience or anything like that. That's great. So you were able to talk it through in that scenario. I mean, sometimes it obviously doesn't end up so well. Yeah, no, I would say we're probably the exception to the rule in that aspect, but I think because of how. Um, you know, well-intentioned we were when we got started that it just kind of worked out for us in that way. So let's talk a little bit about financing. Okay. You've, uh, you know, as you said before, you were able to sell products directly from the initial CSA. And so it hasn't been as you've been able to self-finance to a good extent. But I know that you, I've also seen you in various competitions in the area, um, trying to raise money and you're trying to build this app. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's more than an app, but you know this 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 hardware and software control system. Um, and so how how are you getting money to finance that? 
So yeah, um, a large portion of our operation is financed from our own projects. Um, but we have received uh, uh, a few thousand. I forget the t- the actual full number now. It's like thirteen or fourteen grand total from um, CT Next and the Entrepreneur Innovation Award. Mm-hmm. Uh, we came home with the ten grand from our first time at the event, uh, plus the crowd favorite award, which is another thousand dollars too. Two thousand dollars. Nice. Um, that's a good thing to. Do you guys need a CFO? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then, um, and then we actually we've gone to two more CT next EIAs uh, and one crowd favorite again twice. Uh, so we have three crowd favorite awards from them for two K each, and then the ten K award. Um, We've done a crowdfunded loan through kivazip.org, mm-hmm. um, which is a really cool um, crowdfunding platform specifically, I think, for agriculture. Um, and no, it's no, it's no, not, I, no it's I've not. actually I've actually donated to through Kiva before. Oh, nice. And uh, so so for those who don't know, if you go to kiva.org, which is the original site, and mm-hmm. they and basically it was crowdfunding uh, businesses in third world countries and impoverished countries. And it could be something as simple as basket weaving and a person may ask for $3,000 or something. What's amazing about this, though, uh, what I think is amazing is, and, and, I, and I don't have it up here in front of me, but at the last time I looked, their repayment rate was in excess of 98%. Yeah, it's like 99%, full. I think, in this one. And, awesome. and any bank in this country or any other would be thrilled to have a repayment rate that high. I mean, seriously. Especially in small loans, like yeah, very, very small I mean, loans. I mean, bank repayment rates are, are much lower than that. That percentage is unheard of in that world. And, and to be able to give someone a loan and you realize that you're betting on these people you're never betting on the business here it's always on the people and they're committed to it and they feel so gratified receiving the loan they make sure they repay it it's a it's an amazing uh website it's a beautiful site and for businesses it's also incredible it's a zero percent interest loan so it is an awesome loan to get um so they're doing great things um and I think I forget the exact number of days it took but we we cruised through that at a record rate we got our we filled out the crowd the loan that we asked for i think in like two or three days like some of our family members didn't even get a chance to donate by the time it wow. closed out so that was great um you know kiva's up is that for specific specific types of companies i assume i, I think it's just local companies i think it's like it, it opens it up for, for yeah, like I think small that's local companies what they started calling it when they started opening it up to america actually okay um and making that part of the the ecosystem of kiva yeah and uh, yeah, so beyond Kiva, um, grants, lots yeah, of grants. grants. We, we, uh, because of the kind of unique nature of aquaponics, it addresses not just one, not just two, but a huge number of very pressing issues uh, food security, water security, um, environmental pollution, urbanization. I, I could go on. Uh, it, uh, there's quite a few grant opportunities out there, even for small businesses, of which. You know, it helps to be a nonprofit, which we are not. Um, but we we have um, a USDA grant uh, currently under federal review, um, which is really exciting. That's going to help us build out our uh, first vertical farm. Uh, all of our aquaponics farms so far have been uh, essentially horizontal. They grow one plant uh, in a level. These new this new farm will grow. Uh, I forget the exact number vertically, but like. Uh, five feet tall vertically so you get quite a few more plants in per square foot so it's going to hugely increase the actual 
uh, capacity of our farm. This is going to sound kind of inane, but I actually just saw that. I was, I, so I just recently got back from a trip, um, down to Disney World, oh, among yeah. other places, nice. and they have their, their exhibit, uh, Living with the Land, mm-hmm. which is in Epcot. And you can take this boat tour, you know, and it goes through, they, they work with the, uh, USDA, no, not the mm-hmm. drug ministry, US Food and Food yep. and Drug, yeah. And, they, you know, so they have scientists there doing experiments and they have all these different growing systems in there and not one of them involves soil. It's all, it's all yeah. hydroponics, aquaponics and they had an aquaponics system, but they had, they, they actually, I guess it just refurbished the, the whole area and a new section they've had is on vertical growing. Cool. And, uh, they had, you know, it, they, they just were saying how much more with, with so much less space they can, you know, triple or quadruple. Yeah, the staggering statistic, um, over traditional field agriculture, these, uh, towers that Spencer's talking about that are five feet are 600% more productive. That's um, amazing. When used aquaponically. It, <laughs> not to mention they use way like, less resources. And it's like a drip water system. Yeah. Right? yeah. So it's, you know, you're not really spreading it all across the No, it's, and the, the water's contained, so it's not even really evaporating out. It's only using what the plants use up and then it gets recycled again. Like t- yeah. 10 years ago, I invested in a vertical crop system. It was way ahead of the curve <laughs> uh, val scent i believe wow. uh, i gotta check on what's going on in that trade right now. <laughs> <laughs> i haven't gotten anything in the mail i was so. gonna say you're gonna find yeah. out they went out of business five years yeah. ago yeah, and you never exactly. that that sounds really fascinating though i can just you know what, what's amazing to me is you could i could do that in my basement right oh, yeah. you yeah. throw in some growing lights and you could have the whole system, and I could actually have a really productive system in, in a very in small space. Yeah. yeah, that's. I mean, that's just one of the many kind of components of this technology that makes it so exciting, and really gives us that crazy vision that this can be anywhere, and it could, it can be something that could feed your whole home um, and anyone's home. Well, I have a lot of open basement. If you need a test bed, oh, there. <laughs> <laughs> got it. We'll be looking for those soon. Yeah, we need some systems to test our our sensor tech yeah. on. Yeah, as long as you don't so, blow up my house. So, how far away is that? Uh, it, it, I mean, it's it's in the works now. Uh, the the smart tech. Yep. Um, we have a couple of prototypes. Uh, we have one system that's currently collecting uh, some data now. And we are just kind of putting the finishing touches on an SBIR grant, Small Business Innovation Research. Um, so this is actually one of the coolest government programs I've ever heard of. And I don't say that lightly. I, I, I can't imagine myself saying something like that a few years ago. But the, the government is, they slice off a portion of the R&D budget from all of their different divisions. And they earmark it only for small businesses uh, doing pure like research towards commercialization. So we are part of the USDA. Um, obviously, uh, we're growing food. Um, so we are putting in our application to the small farm portion of this SBIR um, for our smart tech system. So that will hopefully scale it to the point where we have not just a prototype uh, connection. Uh, we have this uh, like a, a essentially a router, uh, but rated for aquaponic use. So it's not going to short out from humidity and stuff. Um, connecting to sensors throughout the system. Uh, right now it's wired. We want to go wireless for obvious reasons. Uh, a garden should be beautiful, not covered in wires. Um, so yeah, uh, we have a, a working prototype and now it's about bringing that to the next level. Yeah. For, but for us right now, it's more or less the, the other, I mean, we can build systems, implement systems, educate people. So it's the smart system is going to just enhance all of our other clients right now. 
Guys, we're getting pretty close to wrapping this up. Uh, is there, I, I, one question I always like to ask is what would you pass on to other entrepreneurs? Even if they're not in your field, what's something you felt you've learned in this process? Um, I, I, I got, uh, okay. Uh, the first thing that popped in my head, um, the, a thought is the first step to making something that it exists. Uh, so if you have thought of something and you think it should exist, uh, don't give up on it. Um, we haven't, and I don't think we ever will. And that's what I think the success of our company comes from. Uh, so it, it worked for us. Maybe it'll work for you. Uh, I would say ask someone if they want your product or service before you create it. Um, in fact, ask a hundred people if they would want your product <laughs> yeah. or service before you create it. Yeah. And then, uh, I would just say, to be honest, it's, it's connect with the people around you. I mean, obviously we're in Connecticut where we're, we've been seeing it kind of bubble up and everything. Um, and, and really good out there. Cause it, honestly, if I didn't step out when I did from, from, um, my, you know, I'm, I'm a year, uh, a year ago, I was, had a job, you know, was invested in a company, was getting a paycheck and I stepped away. And, um, so if you want to do something, just definitely do it, but definitely just start asking people and connecting with people and everything like that. Cause I mean, that's how we, at the end of the day, we both went, we both went through the, um, reset accelerator. We both talked to the same kind of mentor. Um, so it's one of those kinds of things. So. And I'm going to leave everyone off with, I just found out, I think Val sense at two hundredths of a penny. Nice. <laughs> You're wow. killing it on your yeah. investment. Man. Ten years later, that's, that's compound interest. <laughs> what are the dividends on that? <laughs> I think in the negatives. He owes them money. Yeah. 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 You're going to get a bill soon. Yeah. Yeah. You owe us for this envelope. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anything else anybody wants to cover? There's a new uh, TiVo being released, I saw. Yeah, I saw that new. It's probably compete with the Chromebox or yeah. Chromecast that just Well, yeah, the new Chromecasters came out, too. You see the yeah. Apple TV? I haven't seen it, but oh, I've heard it's cool. Oh, man, I am sold. Yeah. It's very cool. <laughs> Built-in apps. There he goes again. <laughs> Built-in <laughs> apps right on top of your TV. You could play games on it. Hey, oh, yeah, you know what, that. Dave? You, you are, know what, you're, Dave? You're obsessed with Apple. I'm an Apple fanboy. I'll be the first to admit it. But you, I like how it all functions on but, one. But, it's one ecosystem. Yeah. Everything works within itself. But you itself. hated the watch after you That's got the key. it. Yeah, my normal watch broke, so here I am. <laughs> Wearing and then, this watch. So okay, so you get so you get the watch, and I understand because I was actually related to your business, so mm-hmm. so it made made sense to get it, even if you didn't like it afterwards, and uh, you felt like a chump. And then, uh, but but <laughs> there we go. There we go. But, but then you, the Apple TV, which which don't get me wrong, I I own an older version of the Apple TV, mm-hmm. and, and I like it very much. But really, it was such a streaming device that I mean, other than buying Apple, you know, stuff from the iTunes store. Anything it did was you could do on any other device. Sure, but now they're opening up the platform to developers. So there's basically an Apple TV uh, API, so to speak, oh. that developers can build apps that are native to the Apple TV. And I think that's when you're going to see really cool uh, creativity. So just imagine you're a Star Trek weirdo, so uh, <laughs> or a Trekkie. Uh, this is par for the course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's all love. It's all love here. Um, but or like Game of Thrones, for example, HBO can build a native Apple TV app that runs on top of the Game of Thrones. So while you're seeing something, you know, it could display int- interesting information. Um, and then on top of it, they're just creating a really cool uh, user interface and user experience. If you want to know who someone is, you just say, who is that? And intuitively, 
the Apple TV, uh, I don't think it's called Siri, mm-hmm. will say, you know, this is this is uh, Kevin Siri. Bacon. Actually, I think it will be Siri. It's I, I think they're going to. That's their smart, Yeah, because cause all, all the companies, uh, you know, like, you know, uh, Microsoft uses Cortana across multiple platforms. So the only yeah. issue there is now everything responds to, hey, Siri. So it's going to. You're gonna have four things pop up yeah. to say yes, <laughs> yes, Michael. So again, you can't just you can't name your kid Siri. We yeah. talked about this in another podcast. Oh in like, are we gonna see a whole bunch of series pop up? No, like there's Siri crews, dude. After she came out, oh, they're God. like, nah, no, we don't well, want to touch that. No one touched it. <laughs> it. It would be kind of interesting if you get all the names from these. What's Google's? I know. So it's like Google now. Alexa, it was Alexa, right? No, that's yeah. uh, oh, that's Amazon. A, that's Amazon. It's Google Now. It's the only one that's not like a name. Yeah. A person. So you name. actually say Google Now? And you say, okay, Google. But okay. the, the thing is called Google now. Uh, well, that's their their okay, smart Google. assistant, I think. There's definitely going to be a kid named Google out there one day. Just one day. <laughs> it's amazing. Google's a verb. It's it's a person to some degree now. Yeah, it, it like is that. definitely. They're trying to go conscious with it. <laughs> without without a, um, the Amazon Echo Alexa is getting much more interesting. Yeah. I saw on CNET that they're setting up an automated sample home. Where they're, you know, they're putting in automated lighting and everything, and they decided that they're going to use the Echo to control all of it, hmm. and because it was the most, it was, it was integrated with the most amount of devices and such, hmm. and so hmm. it was a it's still a fascinating area. And other um, things. You, so, you know, you said not to go into business with your friends, guys, uh, which is why when I when we put together this podcast, we invited Mike. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We actually don't like it. There's, there's no love on this show. There's no love. I, like I said, we're probably muted out, Eric and I. And yeah. 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 Well, yeah, what the listeners don't see is we're actually all fist fighting while talking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Blood everywhere. Well, it's been really great having you on. Yeah, thanks, guys, for having us. Yeah, yeah, where where can people learn more about it? Uh, check us out on our website, freshfarmct.org. Um, and you can find us on Twitter at freshfarmct or on Facebook. Type in freshfarm aquaponics or, uh, you don't, don't want to give it. You don't want to yeah, give me your yeah, home address. Home <laughs> oh, and my personal phone number. Um, <laughs> Oh, yeah, Instagram. Not after we got those Instagram. Aztec comments. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's how you get cursed. He he is unmarried though, folks. So hey there, <laughs> ladies. Hey ladies, uh, cut that, please. <laughs> no way. Sounds way too uh, creepy. <laughs> um, great. Well, thanks, guys, and for those of you listening, uh, check us out at ctstartup.com and listen to us on iTunes and SoundCloud and Stitcher. Stitcher. Yeah. Great. Well, we'll see you next week. And in the meantime, enjoy yourselves. You've just listened to the CT Startup Podcast. You can find us on iTunes or check out our webpage at ctstartup.com where you can find all our social media links. And please, please leave us your feedback. Special thanks to our production team, Kate Rupart, Dylan Gilliatt, and Kevin Dobis, as well as our equipment and marketing sponsor, Martha Kawana, LLP. Mm-hmm.